All right, let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege to be here in your name right now. Father, we turn the rest of this service over to you. We thank you and praise you for your presence here. And Father, we pray that your words will be spoken, your deeds will be done, that you will show up, Father, in the name of Jesus. Anoint every heart, Father, to hear your word and anoint my mouth to speak it right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So everybody live in peace, perfect peace this week? <laughs> I was trying. Um, this morning, it's my privilege to share with you one of my favorite subjects. It's, it, it, is a, it is a word and a concept that if you can grasp it, it will, you will shake your world. You will shake your life, your family, your community. It will shake the world if you can get a hold of what God is saying in this. Okay? Psalms chapter 114, if you want to turn to that. We're going to read the entire chapter. It's only uh, eight verses long. Um, how many uh, people in your Bibles in uh, Psalms 114, you have any markings or you have noted this chapter? It's one of your favorites. Anybody? Now, that's not unusual at all. As a matter of fact, in all the times I've ever preached this, I've only had one person ever raise their hand that they had anything marked in this chapter. This chapter is one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. And by the end of this sermon, you'll understand why. Let's read it. When Israel went forth from Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language, Judah became his sanctuary. Israel, his dominion. The sea looked and fled. The Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams. The hills like lambs. What ails you, O sea, that you flee? O Jordan, that you turn back. O mountains, that you skip like rams. O hills, like lambs. Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool, the hard rock into springs of water. Hallelujah. There are few people in this world, well, let me say it this way. Nobody in this world enjoys being lonely. Now, there are people that enjoy being alone. I, I enjoy being alone after having 12 kids. There are times <laughs> that solitude is a wonderful thing. But nobody enjoys being lonely because lonely means you're alone with, and it's not your choice to be alone. Nobody likes the feeling of being the last man out. I, I've noticed it many times when we've gone camping, when we're at uh, family reunions and such, and if we're the last people picking up and everybody's driven away, there's an there's a eerie, lonely feeling there. It always is, just kind of like the party has come and gone and I'm still here. <laughs> and and there's, a, there's an eerie, lonely feeling there. Uh, in trapped situations, 
uh, mine cave-ins. That actually becomes quite a, a uh, subject, a topic that they have to deal with when they finally get the, the small hole down to these men that are in the mine and they're pulling these men out, who's going to be the last man? Now that might not seem like much right now it's sitting here, but if you were trapped down there for 14 days in the dark, that would become quite a concept that everybody gets out and what if something happened and I'm still down here. And uh, when la I heard that years ago when there was a coal mine uh, cave-in in the Virginias uh, that, that the last man out was that quite, a deal to, quite, a, quite a thing to deal with. And, and this, again, down in Chile uh, a year or two ago, in that gold mine, they actually were going to have one of the rescuers that went down and, and checked the men out. He was going to be the last man out, and, and one of the foremen of the crew said, no, I, I'll do it. I, I can handle it. So he was the last man out. It's, it's quite a deal. Nobody likes that feeling of being deserted. Nobody likes that feeling of being completely alone. You look at a child in a mall that has lost his mama. All of a sudden, you know, he's busy, 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 and then all of a sudden he looks up and, oh my gosh, she's gone. <laughs> and that kid goes into panic mode. All of a sudden, that kid realizes, I am alone in this world, and I do not understand it. I don't understand <laughs> everything that I need to know. I am alone, and that is... That is a panicky feeling for the mom, too. <laughs> Mother Teresa said, the biggest disease today is not leprosy or tuberculosis, but rather the feeling of being unwanted, uncared for, and deserted by everybody. That was one of the reasons she set up the homes, some of the homes that she did for the dying, because she did not want those people to die alone on the street. She wanted, at least for the last moments of their life, to have somebody there with them, holding their hand and caring for them. We read uh, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18, the Lord had created all of creation, the six days of creation. And every day that he created something, he looked at it and saw that it was good the light, the trees, the land, the animals, everything was good. But when he created Adam, something very strange happened. When you think about it, it's very strange. God created something and looked at it and said, I see something that's not good. In, in Genesis 2.18, it says, The Lord said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. God looked at something that he created and said, it's not perfect, it's not good, I've got to fix this. Now there's a reason he did this. He, he could have just made man woman, we would have known nothing about it. He did this for a reason. He was saying that it's not good for man to be alone, but we were created in God's image. And so if it's not good for man to be alone, God was saying, it's not good for me to be alone. For him, God. It's not good for, God, for me to be alone. And that's why he created us. He created us to actually be in fellowship with him. Now, can you imagine what kind of creation it would take to create a, to, a, the, the being that would be able to fellowship with God Almighty? 
something that would have the intelligence, the intelligent capabilities, the mind, the imagination, the ability to, to juggle thoughts and, and, and comprehend what's good and evil and, and such. Can you imagine what kind of creature it would be that, would, that could actually have fellowship with God Almighty? That's you. That's what God put in you. You have the ability to make God happy. That's pretty amazing. In Genesis 3.8, it says, this is after Adam and Eve had fallen, had sinned. It says, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God. God was alone, and he said, it's not good for me to be alone. And he created man, and he created woman, and he was not alone anymore. They were having fellowship daily. All of a sudden, God's alone again. Here's man, hides himself from the presence of God. He didn't want to be around God. He didn't want to be in his presence. And suddenly, God is alone again. Now, you know something God said? I would rather die than spend eternity alone. And that's exactly what he did. God said, I'd rather die than to be without you, each one of you. Don't ever just relegate this to the cloud of everybody. No, God's saying this to you this morning. I'd rather die than be without you. That's the magnitude that God has given to each one of us, that we would be wanted that bad. No, I don't want to save changes. What can I do? Okay. All of a sudden, this fellowship was broken. All of a sudden, this wonderful thing that God had was, was broken, and God meant to fix it. But he couldn't fix it for everybody all at the same time back then, back in the Old Testament. He couldn't do it. He had to deal with just putting a patch on the problem, just a band-aid on the problem, until a final solution could come along. And so we find that in the Old Testament, there were times when the presence of God actually came on men. Even though the fellowship had broken, even though men were separated from God because of sin, there were times when God reached through eternity and still touched individual men. And almost always, they were kings priests, and prophets in the Old Testament. And we find that at those times, the living God once again reached through eternity and reached into their life, and he was with them. Now we find some pretty amazing things when that happens. What would you expect to see if God Almighty was with a man? If God Almighty brought his presence into an individual's life, what kind, of, what kind of reaction would you expect to see? Just ho-hum every day? Everything's the same? Or would you expect to see some monumental changes in that person's life? In 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 10, we see a story of the Ark of the Covenant 
had been taken by the Philistines. And the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God on the earth. It really was. I mean, I, 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 it was more than a representation. It really was the presence of God. If you messed around with it, if you touched it, if you looked on it without permission, you would die. Even good people died by touching that ark. They meant good. One time, they were moving the ark. They were moving it incorrectly. And a man reached out because the ark began to, to, to stumble. It was, on a, it was on an ox cart. And, it, and the ox stumbled, and the ark looked like it was going to fall. And this good man reached out to steady the ark and died on the spot. King David heard of that, and it was like, well, King David was there, actually. And he just said, I don't dare move. We, we have offended the presence of God somehow here, and, and, and I don't know what to do. And he stopped immediately. There was a guy's house right there, and he said, put the ark in the house until we figure out what's going on here. David was actually kind of ticked off that day. It's like, God, I'm trying to do something good here. I'm trying to bring in your presence into Jerusalem, and you killed my guy. But he was also fear. I mean, he, didn't, he wasn't cocky like that. He was afraid. So they put the ark into the house of a guy by the name of Obed-Edom. Must have been a Norwegian with a name like that. Obed-Edom. <laughs> and so now this guy has got the Ark of the Covenant in his living room. If you can imagine. Coming home at night after a hard day work, there's the Ark of the Covenant. Don't touch it. <laughs> you know. And the Ark of the Covenant is dwelling, the presence of God is dwelling in Obed-Edom's house. In 2 Samuel 6.10 we read, And David was unwilling to move the Ark of the Lord into the city of David with him, but David took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite, Thus the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now I was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all the belongings to him. Everything he had was blessed, suddenly. Everything's coming up roses. Everything's, you know, things that he had tried to do for years, all of a sudden it's just working out. Everything's just working out. Things are just happening. Because the presence of God is in his house. That's the difference. That's the only difference. That's the only thing he changed. Obed-Edom didn't do anything different. He didn't say, I'm going to prosper for the next three months and I'm going to get up earlier. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to work smarter. I'm go you know, no. The Bible doesn't say he changed any of his conduct whatsoever. And suddenly, he and everything he had was blessed. The only difference was the presence of God was in his household. Well, David heard about it. And eventually, David said, I've got to have that. <laughs> I've got to have the ark brought up to Jerusalem where I'm at. I, he, he realized, I am missing out. <laughs> you know, Obedium, it's been good, but I, you know, I'm taking that ark. And so he inquired of the, the, uh, the priests what he ought to do. How do. What is the proper way to handle the presence of God? And they, t and they showed him, they taught him, and he did it the right way, and he brought the presence of God into his household, in, into Jerusalem where he lived. There's a right way and a wrong way to handle the presence of God. You don't mess with God. 
Sometimes we take it so lightly, we think so lightly of, of, of the things of God. You don't, you don't mess with the presence of God. As a matter of fact, the Lord showed me this uh, a while ago. We read in, in, in the Bible at times when people died because God was showing up and they took it lightly. In the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira, right after the, right after the day of Pentecost and, and God is mightily moving in Jerusalem and people are getting saved by the thousands and in the middle of this tremendous revival of God beginning and establishing his church, Ananias and Sapphira decide to lie to the Holy Spirit and try to pull off a shenanigans with Peter, and they died on the spot. Now why? Why would God be so ruthless with those two when we've seen a lot of shenanigans in our day and that people aren't necessarily dropping dead on the spot? What's the difference? Well, God was showing up. God was showing up in that early church like never before. And there's something about God that he respects honor and dignity. He doesn't show his arm to everybody and anybody. He can be very quiet. You can go generations without hearing anything from the Lord. You can go hundreds of years without hearing anything from God. He can withdraw his presence and he can be very quiet. So if he ever does decide to honor somebody with his presence, if he ever does decide to honor someone by showing up in their life or in their church or in their revival or whatever, you better be careful because suddenly you've got God in your presence and it is not time to fool around. It is time to be very serious, to be very thankful, but be very careful about what you say and what you do. I believe those days are coming again. I believe that we are going to see people drop dead because the presence of God is going to show up with such power in these days that when he does, you don't mess around. It's like a tornado. On a nice day like this, you can go out and do whatever you want. But if there's a tornado comes on the property, you better do what's right. You better, you better make the right decisions and you better do them quickly and you better make sure that you are doing everything right or somebody's going to die. When God unleashes his power to that magnitude, you don't mess around. So what are the, some of the other stories, the cases of what's happened in the Old Testament? I could, I could do this for hours, so I've got to really be careful here. What time did I start? That's something I've got to learn to do, is <laughs> look at the clock, right? Is it 10 o'clock? 10.15. Okay, so I've got 15 minutes to crash course three hours of, well, I'll, I'm going to aim for a half hour or we're going to be here for a long time. So. <laughs> Genesis chapter 28 verse 15 is the story of Jacob. And, and God says to Jacob, behold, I am with thee and I will keep thee in all places whether you go and I will bring thee again to this land. And Jacob vowed a vow saying, if God is with me, if God will be with me, I will, and he, he made some statements of things that he will do if, 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 if only God would be with him. You see, the old, people of the Old Testament knew that phrase. You find that whenever that phrase was spoken in the Old Testament, people perked up and said, really? 
God is going to be with me. They knew what that meant. They knew that meant prosperity, blessings, protection, power. They knew, they, 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 they realized the magnitude of that statement. God was with them. And so when God said to Jacob, I'll be with you, he, he stood at attention and said, really? Now, you notice he didn't say, well, where are we going? He didn't say, well, I've been meaning to ask you, God, uh, do angels really have wings? Or should we uh, be drinking grape juice or wine at our communion services? You see, that was, those things were irrelevant. When we're talking about the presence of God, either coming into your life or not coming into your life, that took complete precedence to Jacob. And when he realized, you're going to be with me wherever I go, then it doesn't matter where I go. I don't need to ask you where we're going. If you're going to go with me, that is, that is the essence of it. That's the beginning and ending of it. It doesn't matter where we go. When I teach YWAM classes in, in uh, DTS classes in YWAM, uh, I teach on evangelism is one of the things that I teach on. And I often bring out to the students, what are we proclaiming when we evangelize? What are we trying to get across to people? The normal answer is to go to heaven. You want to go to heaven? Yeah, I want to go to heaven. Say this prayer. You don't want to go to the other place. That bad. Bad, bad, bad. You want to go to heaven. But you see, that's not what the Bible tells us to proclaim. The Bible tells us to proclaim being reconciled to God. And you see, if you are reconciled to God, if suddenly if you have God's presence and, and his love and his power back into your life, it doesn't matter whether you go to heaven or not. That's a strange statement, isn't it? Well, let me say another one. Jesus said to the Father, I will do whatever you want me to do. He committed himself totally to God, and he went to hell for it. Isn't that amazing? What if I preach that this morning? Give yourselves totally to God, and you'll probably end up in hell. How many would say, count me in? <laughs> you see, we're not, we're, our, our main goal is not to get to heaven. Our main goal is to get to God. Our main goal is, I want to be with him. Because when we think of heaven, we don't necessarily think of God. We think of streets of gold, plenty to eat, plenty to drink, lots of fun, water parks, you know, you name it. We think it's going to be pleasure, pleasure, pleasure for eternity. What if you got there on the first day and it came over the loudspeakers? You all have a good time. Everything is provided. There will be no pain. You can do anything you want. We're going to have a, a, a no-holds-barred football game with the humans against the angels, and nobody's going to get hurt. So you just play to your, you know, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a great time. Oh, and we need to mention that Jesus is not going to be here. He's going to be going on the other end of the universe to uh, do God's will, so he won't be here. But you guys have a good time. How many would say, uh, wait, wait, wait a minute, Jesus is not going to be here? Where's he going? I pack my bags. I want to be with him. I want to be with Jesus wherever he goes. It's his presence that I came here for. I didn't come here for the water park. I came here because I need God. And if I can't have God, 
at this stage, I need to keep moving. I need to keep going. I've got to have him. I've got to have his presence in my life. That's what God is saying. Samuel, 1 Samuel 3.19, it says, And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and did not let any of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established to be a prophet of the Lord. What was the difference? The Lord was with him. Hezekiah, 2 Kings 18, verse 6 says, For he, excuse me, he, Hezekiah, clung to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went, he prospered. You see the difference? He was successful in whatever he undertook. I'm, I'm reading it right out of the Bible. He was successful in everything that he undertook. You know, as it started up, the Lord was with him. And he rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. Now, when the presence of God comes into your life, you'll do some rebelling. You'll, start, you'll do some rebelling against that wicked, evil, taskmaster, slave master that you've been serving all these years. You're going to say, Satan, I'm not obeying you anymore. I am not going to put up with this anymore. You are done bringing this destruction into my family. You are done bringing this destruction into my life. You are done forcing me to bow my knee to fleshly desires. I will not serve you anymore. You're going to start rebelling. The Spirit of God will rise up inside of you and it will give you the guts to rebel against Satan. Hezekiah rebelled against the king of Assyria. He defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory, from watchtower to fortified city. In Genesis chapter 26, we read about Isaac. Meanwhile, Abimelech had come to him from Gerir. Isaac asked them, Why have you come to me? They answered, We saw clearly that the Lord was with you. Isn't that amazing? This is a heathen king. This is, these are heathen people, and this isn't, this isn't uh, the only place in the Bible we find that heathens speak out clearly. They say, I see that the Lord is with you, and I'm going to treat you with respect. Many times it says that they treated him with fear. They feared these men of God because the Lord was with them, and they could see it. They could see a difference. You notice that it was a visible difference. When the Lord was with somebody, it wasn't something that you could hide. It showed there was a difference about this person that showed to all of society. And, and, and people could see it, and people would, would react to it, that don't mess with this guy. God's with this guy. We saw clearly that the Lord is with you. So there ought to be a sworn agreement between us. Let us make a treaty that you will do us no harm. They were scared of this guy. He was a king. Abimelech was a king. And Isaac was just a farmer. And the king comes to the farmer and says, let's make a treaty here that you will not do me harm. Isn't that amazing? Can you imagine Washington, D.C. calling us today and saying, we realize that God is with you. 
and we are begging that we can be on good terms with you. Now, wouldn't that be different? Rather than us Christians cowering, worrying about the next election, are we going to be able to pull it off? Are we going to be able to get out of this mess? Are you kidding me? We need to get a concept of these things. We need to let these things sink into our spirit that, wait a minute, wait a minute, God is with me. And there ought to be a difference. There ought to be something showing. I shouldn't be cowering. They should be cowering. So where is the difference? I'm going to skip a lot of scriptures. If any of you want these scriptures, and even these aren't all of them, you'll, you, now that you begin to hear this, you'll be, begin to see this all through scripture. The Lord is with him. The Lord is with him. The Lord is with him. And it made a difference every time. If you're reading a story in the Bible and, and uh, Vern Neitzel in the year of 2012 began to seek God with all of his heart and the Lord was with him, what's the rest of the story? Prosperity, goodness, maybe some trouble, but always victory. That is always through the scripture. It's always there. And it's there in your life. We need to recognize these things. We need to learn how to line up to them. We need to learn how to invite these things into our lives and capitalize on them so that it will make a difference, so that it will shake our world. In Exodus 33, the Lord spoke to Moses and he said, Depart, go from here, you and the people whom I have brought from the land of Egypt, to a land flowing with milk and honey. But I will not go up in your midst, because you are an obstinate people, lest I destroy you on the way. What horrible words for God to say that. Basically, that's what he was saying. You're going to get to go to heaven. I'm not going with you. I'm not going to be in your presence. Why? So that I don't destroy you. I thought God was a good God. <laughs> Why is God saying this? You know, Jesus meek and mild, come on, chill out here. What do you mean you're going to destroy the people if you happen to be in their midst? But you see, again, you don't mess with the presence of God, and they were messing with the presence of God. The presence of God was with them. He was the one that brought them out of Egypt. With, the Bible says, by his presence, he brought them out of Egypt, if you find that verse. He brought them out by his presence. And he was with them through the Red Sea. If he wasn't with them, they wouldn't have gotten through there. His angel went before them through the Red Sea. That was actually Jesus that went through death for us and made the way for us. But they were messing with God's presence. They were, they were playing around. And finally God said, listen, you guys are going to go to the promised land, like I said, but I'm not going with you, or I'd destroy you. Well, they took it very seriously, thank God. When the people heard this sad word, they went into mourning, and none of them put on his ornaments. They became very quiet. No tinkling bells, no nothing. <laughs> All of a sudden, they're realizing, uh-oh, this is serious. And sometimes we need to cut out some of the noise in our life. God showed me that one time that a lot of things in our life are creating noise 
not noise for our ears, but noise in the spiritual realm. We think some things in our lives are so important that we are going to make sure we get to that game. We're going to make sure that we go on that vacation. We're going to make sure that such and such happens. That's creating noise. That's creating a lot of vibrations through the spirit world. Not weird, woo, but in reality, it's creating noise that the angels and the demons and God and everybody can hear it. It's like, oh, that guy really, really is a Vikings fan or Packers fan or whatever. And that noise can be very disrespectful for, to God because when, the noise we ought to be making is a heartthrob cry, God, I've got to have you. And when we're making other kinds of noises, we are shouting to the world, seen and unseen, God's not that important to me, but this is. And it's very dangerous. So you see, they took off their ornaments. They took off their tinkling bells and stuff. They all of a sudden got very quiet. When the people heard this, they were sad and took off their ornaments. For the Lord said to Moses, Say to the sons of Israel, You are an obstinate people. Should I go up in your midst in one moment, I would destroy you. Now therefore, put off your ornaments from you, that I may know what I will do with you. Very sobering time. My gosh, God just said he's not going to be with us anymore. But in, in later in that same chapter, God comes to Moses. And, and Moses said, so how's this going to happen? And God said, my presence shall be with you, and I will give you rest. And Moses has the guts to say this back to God. He said to him, if thy presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. They're in the middle of a desert. And Moses said, listen, I'm not going to go with this alone. If your presence is not going to go with me, then let us die right here at Mount Horeb. I'm not going to make another step without you. I've got to have God. Is that our cry this morning? Is that our cry when we wake up this mor every morning? We go through our checklist and see, I've got to get this, 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 this done. Is he on that list? Because you see, Obed-Edom, the difference was God was in his house. It wasn't that he got the whole checklist checked off at the end of the day that made him prosperous. It was the fact that God's presence was there. That was the difference. Is God on our checklist? As a matter of fact, is God so big on our checklist we can't even see the other stuff? I'm going to have to skip again. So where, where, where is the difference? You know where I'm driving this. You know that we're going to talk about God's presence in our lives as Christians. And so the obvious question is, okay, so if, 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 if the presence of God in somebody's life is a big deal and it makes such a difference that the world can notice it, uh, how come it's not happening in my life? Where is it? Where's the difference? You know that's not a bad question. God loves some questions like that because it gets you into reality. It gets you thinking the right thoughts that will lead you to him. There's some questions you don't want to ask God, but there are some questions you definitely want to ask God, and that's one of them. In Judges chapter 6, we find Gideon, and the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, The Lord is with you, O valiant warrior. 
Then Gideon said to him, O oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. That's an honest question, isn't it? If God is with me and it is such a big deal, then why am I here? But you see, things changed right then. He got Gideon's attention. And he got a man that began to listen to God's voice and obey God's voice. Rather than just doing his normal duty, he began to hear from God and obey God, and it made a difference. And God actually did come into his life. And it said that uh, the Lord says, Surely I will be with you. In Judges chapter 6, verse 34, it says, So the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon, and he blew a trumpet and gathered the Israelites together to fight against Midian. Again, God's bringing rebellion into their life to rebel against Satan. So Gideon asked an honest question, and God answered him and said, Yeah, yeah, that's a good question. Where are the miracles? You're about to see them because you're turning your attention toward me. You're turning your face to me, and that's the right thing to do. And now you're going to start seeing a difference. And they did see a difference. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 5 through 8, we find this scripture. It says, Thus says the Lord, What injustice did your fathers find in me, that they went far from me, and walked after emptiness, and became empty, and they did not say, Where is the Lord? We're supposed to ask that. We're supposed to ask, Where are you, God? Where are you? Where are your miracles? Where is your deliverance? What is happening? If we will turn our attention to him like that, we will get an answer. If there's a problem, if there's a blockage, if there's something holding up his salvation, now you've turned your attention to him, now he can talk to you. And I'm not talking about a half hour, I'm not talking about a five minute prayer, I'm talking about turning your full attention to God and saying, God, I've got to have an answer. I've got to tell you a little story. I don't have time, but I've got to tell you this. Last fall, we were in critical condition, critical condition financially. Sherry will, Sherry will back me up 100%. She knows the facts. We were headed for a brick wall at 90 miles an hour with no deliverance in sight, nothing. I'm a building contractor. I had not had a new job since August. And this was now November, December. Not a new job. We finished up one or two little jobs. That little bit of money was coming in. And that was it. My budget is about 13000 a month that I've got to have to keep the lights on. If I don't get that, there's problems. I hadn't had any new money since August. Now you can imagine what happens to your savings account. I didn't have a savings account. I had credit cards. You can imagine what that, <laughs> you know, we are headed down at that point really fast, really, really fast. And I was going to the Lord saying, God, what, what's up? What's, you know, <laughs> what, where's the blockage? What am I doing wrong? What's going on? You got to answer me. You got to answer me now. God, I am overdrawn at two different banks this morning at the same time, and I don't have a dime to put into either one of them. You've got to show up, and you've got to show up now. You know what he told me? Sit down and be quiet. 
He did. I take, I, I take being overdrawn very seriously. And, uh, you know, I'm supposed to be an honorable guy in the community. <laughs> and I'm supposed to, you know, honorable people pay their bills. Honorable people do not act like scuzzballs and just, you know, let that kind of stuff roll off their back. They, they, they take care of their finances. They pay their bills. I was not paying my bills. I was, not, I was overdrawn at two different banks. So he told me, just sit down and be quiet. Open my word. Get into my word. Pray in tongues for hours. Okay, but you got to do something. I'm telling you, we're in trouble. God, don't you understand? He understood, but he understood that I had way more respect for those banks than I did for him. He understood that I was way more upset about being overdrawn than I was about being lean in his word and in his truths. He let me sit on that chair down in my office for days, overdrawn, day after day. No money, no new business coming in, quiet heaven, and I'm just going, God. It wouldn't take much for one of these creditors or the bank to all of a sudden start calling in loans and stuff, and we'd be done. All it would take is a very small switch to be one creditor to panic at this point and start turning us into collections, and we're done. We're in trouble. Heaven was quiet. Okay, God, I get it. I get what you're saying. This seems crazy to my mind, but I'm going to do what you say. And so day after day, for about a week, a week of being overdrawn at two different banks, I just sat in that chair and read the word and prayed in tongues, paced my office floor and began to just say, I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to worry about that bank. God is more important to me right now. I'm going to hear from God. I'm going to hear from God. I began to just say that over and over again. Suddenly, I got a call from my wife. 10,000 bucks came in. Unexpected, unasked for source, 10,000 bucks came in. Well, that's cool. That'll pay, <laughs> that'll pay part of one month, and we're several months behind at this point. But that's good. You know, never, never belittle something from God. I was reading uh, one of George Mueller's works the other day, and, and he was believing for huge, he had hundreds of orphan, orphans under his care. He never asked for a dime his entire life. He never took up an offering. God told him not to. He didn't do it. And he had hundreds of orphans under his care. All of it came from contributions. He wasn't a rich man. He was a poor man. He believed God for those things to come in. So I was, I was reading his, one of his uh, testimonies, and a few shillings would come in that morning. Somebody would give him a few shillings. That's nothing. Nothing. He's got hundreds of kids under his care. He said, I thanked God. I believe this is a sign that he is going to provide, that he is going to come through. So, phone rings, 10,000 bucks comes in. Thank you, Lord. I expect that. I expect a lot more. I expect it to continue. It has to continue, or I'm dead, God. You know it. If it doesn't, I'm dead. I'm out of the, blown out of the water, and you know it. So it's in your hands. Day after day went by. Some money came in from old jobs. We had some rent money coming in from our rental houses. Kept us alive. Kept us alive. You know, just 
put this money here and cover that check. <laughs> you know, keep the lights on, call utilities, don't shut us off, money's coming. Kept us alive, kept us alive. The phone rings one day. Unasked for, somebody bought one of my businesses. A cash, $150,000. And I had started the winter out by saying, God, I just accumulated everything. I said, God, I've got to have $100,000 just to make it through this winter. We've already, we're already backlogged a bunch of bills. We're already in trouble. And if I need $10,000 a month, I need $50,000 just, just to keep the lights on. So I need $50,000 to catch up a, a, a major bill, and I need $50,000, and that won't even get us out of trouble. All that does is keep us alive till springtime. Hundred grand, I need hundred grand, God. And I had no jobs. I'm 56 years old, and I'm unemployed at that point. Didn't feel good. But I tell you what did feel good is this. You get in the Word, and you're going, He is a faithful God. He's a faithful God. He cannot lie. You know something? I've got the word of the richest being in eternity. He promised me personally that he would supply, and he can't lie. I've really got something here. I've really got something here. And the phrase came to me, watch what happens. And I told that to Sherry. I, said, I, I came home one night. I said, God just told me, watch what happens. And that, and, that, and that happened. 150 grand came in cash. We're still alive. <laughs> Praise God. I was able to pay off some major, very caustic debt. And, uh, and, 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 and we're alive. Thank God. We're very alive. So that's just a story that, that God, there is a difference. But we got to do it his way we got to do it his way. When he said, sit down and shut up, I better sit down and shut up. If I would have just gone out and bid jobs, bid jobs, bid jobs, I've got, got to fix this. i got to make this work. I got, this is, you know, and, and I realize there is a time to work hard. I take providing for my family very seriously. There is a time to go work until you can't hardly stand up. There is a time for that. But this was not the time. This was the time to sit down and shut up and put my full honor and attention on God. And he came through. When that happened, when that phone call came and I hung up the phone, I felt like I'd just seen an angel. I felt like I just saw the arm of God. That was cool. Well, I am out of time. I haven't even got to the major point of this, <laughs> but I'm out of time, and I will honor that. So let's read Psalms 114 one more time. I said that, that we would do that. And that is, uh, that's important at this point because now, all of a sudden, that's going to look different to you. Psalms 114, when Israel went forth from Egypt, the house of Jacob from a strange language, Judah became his sanctuary. In the Amplified Version, it says the holy place of his habitation. Judah became the habitation of God. God lived inside of these people. The presence of God, when you're in the desert and you got up on a mountain and you looked at all these people, you are looking at God. God is in their presence, the Bible says. They're not just people. They're God people. He is in their presence. Israel, his dominion. So what? So what? God's in their presence. So what? Well, verse 3, it says, the sea looked and fled. <laughs> All of a sudden, 
this world is starting to shake because the presence of the creator of the universe. This world is a little, very, very, very tiny dot in the universe. The universe does not circle around us. God did that to show us how little we are. We are nothing without him. The solar system doesn't even circle around us. For years, man assumed that it did. Of course, you know. I mean, you know, everything circles around us. God said, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. And without me, you are nothing. You're a speck in the universe. But suddenly, when God was in their presence, the sea looked and fled. The Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams. The hills like lambs. And then the Bible mocks nature. It says, what ails you, O sea, that you fled? O Jordan, that you turned back. O mountains, that you skipped like rams. O hills like lambs. What's the matter with you? What's the problem? And then it says, verse 7, Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool, the hard rock into springs of water. Pre tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord. That's talking to you. The presence of God, the presence that was in the Ark of the Covenant is now inside of each one of you. In each one of you, if you belong to Christ this morning. If you don't belong to Christ, you need to run up here and turn your life over to him. Because you are truly without him. But if you are with him, if, if, if you've given your heart and life to Jesus Christ, the Bible says that he has come into you, that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says right here in Psalms 114, tremble, O earth, at the presence of God. When you walk out of here today, think about that. When you go about your business at work, when you're shopping at school, wherever you are, start quoting that. Realize, hey, <clears throat> I'm not a nobody. I belong to the King of Kings. And I expect a difference. I expect to be treated differently in life. I expect things to work out. I expect prosperity. I expect things to be different. And you'll find that it will. It will change. It will start. At, but keep your ears open to him saying, you know, what should I do today? Because remember, you're not the boss. When he came in, he became the boss. Amen? Amen. Praise God.